Greetings, and thank you for checking out this sermon from Kingdom Life Community Church in Morrison, Illinois. If you'd like more information about our church, go to kingdomlife.global. And now, here is the sermon from our pastor, Steve Harmon. I know you all are probably wondering, you know what happened in Cuba? Nothing really. There's not a whole lot going on down there, you know. And uh, if you believe that, then I got some swampland in Arizona to say. Okay. Let me get myself all put together here. All right, stand with me if you would. Let's go through our declaration. Are you ready? All right. Well, you're far ahead of the game than I am. All right, here we go. I'm a child of God. The Father loves me. The Father forgives me. And the Father wants me. I am his, and he is mine. Therefore, my past won't haunt me. The future doesn't scare me, because in his presence is where I live. Do you believe that today? Amen. Then you may be seated. If you don't believe it, you have to keep standing until you do believe it. So that's how, we, that's how faith works around here. We keep you busy. Okay. Oh, Amen. Well, thank you. Cuba was um, a phenomenal trip. It was one of those things where uh, it was an awakening. I think that's the, the thing I can tell you most. Uh, bef- I, I'm not going to go into stories necessarily today. Those will get out there. But I, I want to tell you a little bit about my personal journey in, in going to Cuba. Now, this church has always been about missions. We know that. Um, we've gone... Uh, you can look at the flags. The flags here represent of the nations that this church has been to or, and impacted for certain things, right? And so, um, so, and pretty soon we'll have a Cuba flag up here somewhere. So Tanzania is way back there in the back where Scott and Cassie are at, uh, who came from this church. And hopefully, God's will, I'll be going there this next year. Um, and I'll probably be looking for a team. Uh, to do uh, some discipleship down in Tanzania with pastors or whatever. So that's, that's something that's in the next year. Uh, if you see in the back, there's Honduras. We are closely connected with Honduras. Maybe you don't know why. I think you do. So um, Ben and Kalita will be transitioning to Honduras here this next year. And um, they're preparing uh, for that now. And so uh, most of you get the updates. So we're going to have the opportunity to be impactful to the nation of Honduras as well. Um, Egypt, uh, we have been there, obviously, with Dr. Sama and Operation Serve, discipling pastors, but also serving those whose lives, who, who live, whose houses are in the garbage dumps. And so um, we have been there serving uh, people there with the love of Jesus. Um, just looking around, uh, there's a flag. There's Mexico right there. We've been to Mexico City a lot of years. Mexico City was my first mission trip taking teenagers to. Uh, I don't know how that happened, but yeah, uh, it did. That was 2000, I think, four. And so, boy, this church is really a church of faith to let me go to Mexico City with about 15 teenagers. That was that was, a, that was a miracle. Miracle sign of one right there. Uh, but when I brought them all back, and they were the same kids, so I counted that a double blessing. 
You know, usually if you come back with the same number, you're good. But I actually brought the same kids back that I took with me. So I count that a double blessing. Um, so you see the flags. They're not just something that's pretty. They're something that we're invested in at some point or the other. Um, we were invested in Turkey. We had missionaries that were there that uh, we supported that were starting things and doing prayer and walking uh, throughout Turkey and, and praying for that nation as well too. So we have been at one time involved in these nations. We may not be as of right now uh, as much as we were, but these flags represent where this church's impact has gone. And so uh, Peru was my first mission trip ever in 2001, in July of 2001, and a phenomenal experience as well. And so I, I'm saying this to remind you all that we have a history in this church of missions. We have a history of this church of, of having a spiritual and impact and a global impact uh, for the kingdom of God. And so sometimes, uh, this all goes around with the journey that I'm telling you, sometimes when you are a church that's in the rural church, in the middle of a cornfield, you begin to look at yourself as a church in the middle of a cornfield. Are you with me? Sometimes when you're a church in the middle of a cornfield, you begin to see yourself as a church in the middle of a cornfield. We are not a church that's in the middle of a cornfield. We are, by location, geography, a church that's in the middle of a cornfield. But through heaven's eyes and through, and, and if, if we're about God's kingdom, then we are a church that's geographically in the middle of a cornfield, but is stretching out to the nations of the earth to see change. And so one of the, okay, I'll give you one story. This is probably the main, one of the main reasons I went to Cuba and I was not expecting it, okay? So we're staying in false Cuba, which is a really nice hotel, okay? And then uh, we would go out to the real Cuba to do missions. And um, if any of you have been to my house, there's a shed right in back of my house, you know? And... Um, where I went, that is a luxurious mansion. Absolutely luxurious. It was, it, was, it was, now I didn't see anything that I really haven't seen before, but I'm trying to paint a picture for you. I've been around the world, I've seen some of the poorest things that you can possibly see, and, and Cuba is, is right up there with it, okay? They're, they're right up there. And so uh, the shed in the back of my house, it would, would be great for like a family of, I don't know, 10. And, and they would love that. And so um, some of the things that, that I had seen. So uh, one of the stories, one of the reasons that I went. So I don't know if you know this, but um, when, when uh, Ray Geminis from the Victory Center uh, was bringing some people in from all over, and they came to our church on a Sunday, and there was a bunch of, you remember, there were, a lot of them were sitting right there, a bunch of Hispanic pastors. Uh, Yasser and Aki were sitting right behind Ben in those two seats. And that's the church that I connected with when I went down to Cuba, and I didn't know that. And so I see these people, I'm like, well, they look familiar. I'm like, oh, stop it, Steve, you're... And then all of a sudden we start talking, and it comes to my mind that as we're talking, I'm like, so you know Ray Jimenez, Jimenez, oh yeah, we know Pastor Ray, and I'm like, 
then all of a sudden it clicked that they have been to our church. And so there's a, there's a con- there are connections that are happening that are God-inspired or divine appointments that God is connecting us to churches in different parts of the world to be brothers and sisters so that, because Cuba is going to be transformed. I don't know if you don't, we don't use the R word, but we'll use the transformed word. You know what the R word is? No. Sorry. You don't use the word revolution in Cuba. Okay. So um, that's, that's no bueno. That good? No bueno? Yeah. You don't use that word. You can use revival, and use transformation, but you don't use the, that word. So anyway, we're believing that revival and Cuba is going to actually be transformed. And one word that a guy, so listen, I'm, I'm there with a guy who came from Poland, right? We were a pretty diverse team. It was pretty awesome. And this guy from Poland has a pretty strong prophetic voice, and he speaks to, um, I believe it's, Yes, sir. And they're praying over him. We're all praying over him. All of a sudden, he comes in and he says, listen, God is not going to change Cuba. Because if he, if he changes Cuba, Cuba can change back. He said, God is going to transform Cuba for the gospel. And from that point, he's like, there's no going back. And I'm like, and everybody's like, whoa, there was a God bomb that just happened right there. It was pretty, pretty thick. And, and things began to, we began to pray. From that, they have a son named David, or David, and one of the nights when we were, <laughs> we had worship on the beach, and we began, this wasn't directed, but the Lord uh, spoke to me about a group of U-turns, U-turns, <laughs> interns, U-turns, 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 I can't even save that, there's nothing I can do with that, right, it's interns. And so I was watching these U-turns, read interns all week. Goodness gracious. Okay, I was watching these interns all week, and the Lord uh, told me to speak, because I was relatively quiet all week, man. I, I didn't jump on the prophecy bandwagon. I didn't, I just, I felt like I was there to agree with certain things. I prayed for a few people and stuff like that. But one of the reasons I came with this, we began to pray, and I said, listen, I said, let me give you some fatherly advice. What I see here is a bunch of young people who have lost their lives for the gospel. I said, don't take it back, right? Don't take your life back. Once you've lost your life for the sake of the gospel, you're gonna be tempted to wanna take it back. Don't do it. The second thing, we've been praying over David. And man, man, the spirit of God hit that kid on the beach. And uh, he was crying out to God. They were crying out to God. And I grabbed him and I lifted him up. And I said, David, will you give your life for Cuba? And he's like, yes. And I said, Jesus said he'll take it. And the, the spirit of God hit him. And people began praying. And what we witnessed right there was the coronation of a priest and king for the transformation of Cuba. I know it in my heart. I know it, because it's not about us transforming Cuba into our image. It's about God raising up people in Cuba that have a fire for their own nation, and, and yes, help resource when possible, but watch as God works through them to bring about transformation in Cuba. Powerful, powerful things that were happening. Um, 
And so God has spoken to me a few times and, um, about myself, about church in general and things that, um, that were good. And, um, and I'll get those later to you because I I'm, I'm still want to process some stuff. But what I have to talk to you about today, I started writing on long before I left. And uh, it's in Luke chapter 1, starting in verse uh, 26, I believe. Let's get there. Yeah, 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 yeah. So last week, Ben has gone through uh, the birth of John the Baptist being foretold, right? Remember that? He didn't? He did. He did. Okay, good. I just, all right. I'm, <clears throat> I'm coming back from Cuba, so I'm used to people responding, so forgive me. All right. <laughs> Listen, let me give you this one thing that the Lord spoke to my heart. Because I've heard this before, I've probably used it before, and it, it's not a good thing to say. Um, some of you might be tempted to say that where I went, well, that's just their culture. That's just what they do. They're more expressive. They're this, that, and the other, and blah, blah, blah. And, I, and the, Lord, the Lord really hit me with that because this is what he said. If you mean the kingdom of God, Steve, then Yes. But if you mean that it's just a cultural thing, Steve, you got it wrong. I was challenged. Do you hear what I'm saying? A lot of times if you go on a mission trip and you'll see them worshiping, you'll see them dancing. And by the way, this is another thing. In America, we sing songs like what we sing, My Beloved is More Beautiful Among Thousands, Among Thousands. And we may repeat that and we sing it. And we're thinking, man, when is the song going to be done? They're singing these songs, singing when is the presence going to come? There's a vast difference between what we pursue in America and what other people across the nations are pursuing. We're pursuing comfort. We're pursuing maybe to be pricked for a little bit. They're pursuing the presence because it's all they got. Would it be that we would have that heart? This is all we got. We may have a, a massive bunch of, of stuff. But my fear is that the church is becoming the rich man who will not answer the call of Jesus because he doesn't want to give up all of his stuff. Are you hearing me? We don't want to be the rich man who walks away from Jesus. Jesus' invitation to him was, hey, you know, you know do, the, do the commandments. He's like, but he recognizes there's something more, right? He said, oh, you, this is what you want. Then sell all you have and come follow me. In America, we're going to try and pack up everything we can that makes us comfortable and take it along the journey. And Jesus says, there isn't room for all your other gods. There isn't room for all your comforts. If you're taking everything, that means you're not trusting me with everything. And so as they're pursuing the heart of God, now listen, it's... Uh, they had buildings, yes, and stuff like that, but they're pursuing him as if without him, they're not going to make it. And the fallacy in the American church is to think that we can do this without his presence. Moses got it. When the Lord was so angry at the, uh, at the Israelites, where he's like, listen, go. Just go to the promised land, but I'm not going. I believe if, 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 if God were to say that to the American church, and maybe he has, that the American church didn't have a Moses that was strong enough to say, don't go there without his presence. 
because we've become so com- comfortable with our systems and our metrics of how we define success that we've lost the heart of the Father. I'm talking church as a whole. I'm talking the big church. And, and we've gone from a nation that was so, so abundant in sending missionaries in the 1800s and in the early 1900s and people who would lose their life for the gospel and to go out there and to seek and save that which is lost and to bring the gospel to now we're receiving missionaries because we've lost the central message of the gospel. I'm not... St- I'm not saying this stuff to you because I went and got pricked for a little bit. I've had a spiritual awakening. I'm starting to get a little bit of revival in my own heart. And I'm seeing things in the country in which I live that are disconnected from the church as a whole. People want to talk about, well, what's your five-fold gift? Or what's this type of gift that you have? I'm a revivalist, and part of my calling has, has come to awaken the church to the true destiny that Je- well, of what Jesus has for it, okay? That's my call. With it comes gifts. With it comes callings, but your first calling is to be a son or daughter. The rest of the stuff you do are tent-making skills. Even what you go out and do for the gospel, if you're not a son or you're not a daughter... How are you going to talk about the goodness of God when you're not a child? It comes through intimacy. All right, enough of that. So listen, um, so the Lord is, is, is speaking to us about stewarding his presence well. And sometimes that takes time. You ever notice that sometimes God is like the Lone Ranger and he comes in right at the last second? If you don't tarry for that, you won't see that. Do you hear me? If you don't wait and tarry for the presence, if you, if you stop too short, you don't get, you don't get that. I'm not, I'm not, and he's good. It's not like you're out forever. That's not what I'm saying. But I'm just saying if, if we begin to condition ourselves to wait on the Lord, and in our waiting is where I believe the Lord becomes convinced that his people really desire his presence that it begins to roll it in on the people. The question you have to ask yourself is, are you hungry, are you desperate enough for the presence of God? Because it's going to, first thing it's going to do, it's going to deal with the comfort. It's going to be uncomfortable when the presence of God comes. He's not going to minister to your comfort. He's going to convict you of your sin. He's going to reveal a bunch of things, and then you're going to have that opportunity to respond. And you're either going to ignore it, which means you remain comfortable, or you're going to embrace it, which means it's going to get messy. Good messy, but messy. Okay? All right. That's just getting started. Here we go. So now we have the the birth. So you have John the Baptist in Luke chapter 1, right? Uh, In uh, chapter 5, verse through 25. And... um, you know, it's a miracle that's happening. So we know that Zacharias is going into the temple. It's his temple duties, right? And so he gets this visitation by Gabriel, does he not? Yes, right? Gabriel is an angel. Now, uh, Gabriel, uh, you know, not much, a whole lot of said about what they do, but, you know, Gabriel is the FedEx of heaven. He's always delivering messages. 
right? So he, he comes down in Daniel, right? He's giving a message to Daniel, and that's he's like, well, I had to fight 21 days. I had to call Michael to come help me, but we finally got the message through because your prayer was answered as soon as you prayed it. So Gabriel is, is talking to Daniel, right? Gabriel's, Gabriel is the FedEx of heaven. So now he's coming down to Zacharias. He shows up. Can you imagine being a priest and going in? Uh, you know, you have 400 years of silence between the Old Testament and the, and the New Testament. And not that Zacharias has been doing that, but there's this, there's this um, thing that happens where it becomes routine. You're going through the motions, and he's going into the holiest of holies, and he's doing what he's supposed to do. It's not that he's not taking it seriously, but, you know, he's been doing this for a while. Nothing's really happened. And all of the sudden, right, Gabriel shows up on the scene. Probably dressed in white. Probably just, you know, it's something he hasn't seen before. Because if you look at the descriptions of angels in Revelation, stuff like that, that is some weird stuff. Gabriel, however, is somewhat normal. But still, when you confront him, one of the first things the angels are going to say is, hey, listen, don't be afraid. Because you're seeing something that's pretty wild. And so he's going to talk to uh, Zacharias about, listen, I know you're old, but uh, you're going to have a baby. And you're going to name him John. And he's going to be, you know, the forerunner of the Messiah and blah, blah, blah. And right, and so he, he's like, hey, man, he goes, what will be a sign to know that this has happened? Now, his problem is, is he asks for a sign, right? And the sign that he gets, well, you're not going to be able to talk until it happens because you didn't believe what I said. So his question that he is asking the angel is coming from a place of unbelief. And so the sign that he gets, you know, when we look for a sign, we're looking for this glorious, oh, angels descending and singing, I'm supposed to go over here. No, no, no. His question that he asked through unbelief, his sign is going to be, you're not going to be able to speak until it happens. Now listen, we're talking at least roughly nine months, if not more, that he's not going to be able to utter a word. Now, to his wife, that's probably a glorious sign. <laughs> but to him, not being able to speak. And so he comes out. They all see this kind of stuff. And they're like, oh, something happened. <laughs> He's not speaking. They're starting the sign language, writing stuff down, everything, stuff like that. Elizabeth uh, becomes pregnant, right? And glorious things are going to happen. And so um, when it comes time to name the baby, she says, she says, John, and they're like, nobody has named that, and then he's, she's like, well, what do you say? And all of a sudden, when, the, when it comes out, his name shall be John, boom, his tongue is loosed. And the first thing he does when his tongue is loosed is doesn't describe, you should have seen the angel. You should have seen all that. The first thing that comes out of his mouth is he begins to prophesy to the glory and goodness of God Almighty. Because now he is convinced beyond convinced that God has shown favor to his people. Okay? So God is showing favor to John and Elizabeth, or excuse me, to Zacharias and Elizabeth through the birth of. Now listen, he should have believed this because he's got the history of it, doesn't he? Abraham and Sarah. Right? This is not something that's uncommon. This is something that God has done before. And if you can't believe that in something that God has done before, how are you going to believe him for things that he hasn't done yet through you? This is why you have to understand the Old Testament is a vastly supernatural book. And the New Testament is a vastly supernatural book. And God has not, the reason it's supernatural to us is because we've stopped living in the realm of where we're seated. 
Are you hearing me? You are seated in the heavenlies if you're a son or a daughter, which means that earth, although you live in it, is no longer your home, is no longer your final place. And so you're dealing on earth through with a, um, uh, in a realm that has an inheritance for you to accomplish his will. Do you hear me? So you are not down here by yourself trying to hammer out the will of God. You have a, Ephesians tells you that you're seated in the heavenlies, right? Your gifts come from the heavenlies. So you are actually, when you become a child of God, become an ambassador of the earth, of the kingdom, which means the supernatural is now where you dwell. It's not something that should be happening like, oh, once in a phenomenally great while. Because his supernatural is his actual natural. And so you are changing from once in a while things to now should be seeing things happening. And I'm not talking about parting the Mississippi with a stick and stuff like that. But God, most of the stuff that you're going to experience is stuff that's going to happen within your own life. When you're doubting what you believe God is calling you to do, that's where the rubber meets the road to where you say, no, God has called me to dream and believe for bigger than just being a church in a cornfield or just being someone who's working a factory job or this, that, and the other. There is something that God has deposited inside of you that's bigger than your natural abilities and you will never see it until you learn to start tapping into the realm of the spirit. Okay. It's not enough to be awed by people who speak well. It's not enough to listen to a good sermon and say, man, that was good. Thank God I don't have to do anything with it. Which is what a lot of the church does. We, we grab ourselves around, around, around speakers who do well about the Bible, but we're really bad at probably applying some of this stuff to see things truly happen, okay? That stuff is over with if, you're, if you want to be impactful for the kingdom. All right, so now we get to Jesus' birth. Now in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel, he busy guy, Delivering packages all over the place. Maybe that's where the idea of the stork came from. Oh, well. All right, so this guy's dropping babies on everybody. Okay. Now, in the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to the city of Galilee, to Nazareth, to a virgin engaged to a man whose name was Joseph, of descendants of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. Okay, so obviously Gabriel sent by God to Nazareth. Um... To a virgin who's engaged, Joseph, descendant of David. Uh, why is this text in the Bible? Why is, why is he saying all that stuff? Because everything that he's saying here in the New Testament is fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy. And Zacharias should be like all over this. The problem is, is when you become religious and you become uh, just going through the motions, you miss what God is desiring to do. And so the signs are coming, and you look at that, and you're like, well, that's cool, but I don't know. These people can miss this, you know. You, you can miss what God is desiring to do in your life. He is sovereign. He gets his way all the time, but he doesn't always get his will in the people that he desires. The Bible tells us when it comes to children that it is not the will of the Father that any of these little ones, right? But does it happen? 
Absolutely. Which means sometimes that God doesn't always get his will through people. He gets his will all the time through what he wants to do on the earth, but he doesn't get his will all the time with people. So you can miss it. He's also a God that's filled with grace and favor and so much love that if you miss it, realize you miss it and come back, man, I'm a, I'm a product of that, that he'll renew the call, he can renew the vision in your life. But you gotta know that you've missed it. You gotta know and desire to come back and to be attached to it. Okay, so it's fulfillment of Old Testament prophecy prophecy. Uh, Hebrews 1.14, Gabriel is actually, you know, is a ministering spirit sent by God to serve, right, deliver message to Mary, who will inherit salvation, that she is a vessel that God intends to use to bring about his divine plan on the earth. So the first thing that the angel says when he comes in to see Mary, right, let's look at this, he says, and coming in, he says, greetings, favored one, the Lord is with you. Now, what he does not say is, do not fear, most of the time we say that. But he comes into her and he says, hey, greetings, favored one. Greetings, favored one. The Lord is with you. And the angel says, then he says, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Let me tell you why I think that it happens that way. Favor is not something that's going to produce good things for you on the earth. The favor of the Lord is not going to position you for all worldly things. The favor of the Lord for Mary meant that she got pregnant outside of of the normal marriage covenant that they would do. So you remember then in the Hebrew culture when they were engaged, there was still, they were literally like married, but they waited a year not seeing each other. And then in that, that year, they would have the marriage celebration. The bride would come and get the bridegroom. They, they'd have a wedding for seven days. Most, most of us fathers like, thank God we can get it done in one night, Right? Cost enough already. I can't, I can't afford seven days of a celebration, <laughs> right? So, but she's not going to experience the benefit of, of what comes through the world. She's been given favor for God, and that's going to and essentially blacklist her in the culture. As a matter of fact, she's probably going to be called names. As a matter of fact, the Jews, when they say to Jesus later on down the road, well, we weren't born out of fornication. That's a shot at how he was born. Abraham is our father. You were born out of wedlock. You, you were. And so some of the Jewish scholars of the day would get together, and what, when you look through this, you will see that they actually believe that Jesus' father was a Roman soldier. That's what they're saying so that they can discredit anything that Jesus came to do. The problem is, is Jesus wasn't born of a Roman soldier. He was born of the Holy Spirit. But the favor that she gets to do to birth what God wants done on the earth is not going to bring her wealth in the earth. Oh, you're going to have, you're going to have treasure in heaven, but the favor of the Lord is going to look different on the earth than it does from heaven's point of view. 
Let me tell you something else. Favor didn't start and favor didn't end with John the Baptist and Jesus. Jesus in Luke comes and he says to them, um, hey, listen, um, the Spirit of the Lord is on me and anointed me to preach the good news, right? Blind see, the deaf hear, blah, blah, blah. And then he says, and to proclaim the what? The favorable year of the Lord, which means, people, that since that time, y'all been in his favor. He's not just favoring one person. You're all living in the favor of the Lord right now. Now the question comes is, because I'm living in favor, what is God desiring to birth in me and through me to impact the kingdom of God? No, I'm not talking that you're going to have another Christ child, but what God is desiring to birth, he's desiring to birth in people who believe that God is not done yet. What God is desiring to do is work amongst the people who are not comfortable with last generation's blessing. Am I making sense? So young people, young people, this gets me fired up. I love, uh, because I started out as a youth pastor and so my my, my heart and my, my joy is, is when young people get it, right? Here's, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm telling you, young people. Raise your hand if you're young. All right, all right. Ah, yes, you get it, you get it, you get it. Spiritually, yes, you are. But young people, let me tell you this. Young people in age, not just young people in spirit, but young people in spirit can catch this too. Listen. Now is not the time for you to wait. When God did mighty things, he anointed David at like roughly 14 years of age, anointed him to be king over Israel. Now, he didn't inhabit that till about 12 to 15 years later, but the anointing came on him at a young age, right? Jesus is 12 years old before he's astonishing people in Jerusalem by listening and then asking questions and doing teaching to, to priests, and mom and dad come back and like, hey, where have you been? Did you not know I would be about my father's house? So you're not waiting till you grow up someday and then figure out what God wants to do with you. The time is now. What is God, what, listen, what plan does God have for Morrison schools? Well, then find out because he's got one and he wants to use you to do it. And you, and you, you're going to mess up Honduras in a good way for the kingdom. I'm serious. I'm serious. You don't, listen, you don't think like normal people. You think from a different perspective. And it's, you are, you are highly favored with, with the way you think. And, and you're, I think you're a genius, but... But honestly, but that's for a purpose, bud. And you're going to Honduras, and you're not going there just to be his son. You're going there because you have a, God has a plan and a purpose for you at what, 12? You're 12? If you're two years older, I'd crown you king. But, but Honduras is not just for him and your mom. There's a nation that you can inherit. He says, ask of me, and I will give you the nations. 
he may very well have given you Honduras at 12. He's actually maybe working for your anointing. Okay? All right? Okay, so you're sitting down there, and you're like, well, I'm homeschooled. What does that mean? Doesn't matter. Get this guy saved for once. No, I'm just kidding. No, it doesn't matter. You have, people are drawn to you. You know that, right? And they're drawn to you for a reason because he's given that to you so that the kingdom can go forth. So you are going to, if you will allow it to happen, you will be able to impact many people for the kingdom of God, which means that from people coming into contact with you and your influence, you will be able to launch people into their God-giving calling and destiny. Before Billy Graham ever stepped on the stage, there were people in prayer for him. Okay? It's kind of what you are. So I would not be surprised, and I'm not saying this, I'm not being grandiose for grandiose sake, but if you believe it and you'll receive it, there will be people that will be launched from your influence into their God-given callings and impact nations. And it's not that you're not going to get to go and do that yourself, but the core of who you are is going to impact and influence others. So you, you know those into YouTube influencers? You're going to be a kingdom of God influencer, okay? You are. Wilbur's, your whole family is like kings and priests. Well done, mom and dad. Okay? Now, what I'm about to say is not so that you can go to heaven, but I'll say, give you a little down payment. Well done, good and faithful servants. You've done well at stewarding your family well. God is pleased with it, okay? And I would not be surprised to hear of, of what happens through their lives. And you're going to uh, Kansas City? You still thinking about that? Dude, I just got, man, mm. I pray that God just rocks your world. I really do. And I think he will. I think things are going to be over to you. I think, I think down there is where you're going to find your niche. And I'm not saying that that's necessarily going to be your niche. What I'm saying is that when you go down there and you're doing and you're, God is going to reveal to you. So the kind of lostness of what am I going to do, I'm kind of, Different, not in a bad way, but you work, you, you work a little bit differently than anybody else. That's God-given too. And so as you go and surrender yourself for a gap year, man, you're going to be filled with it. Those who come hungry and thirsty, you're going to get filled. Okay? So that's, you can be excited about it, man. I'm excited for you. Man, I wish I was, I wish I was like, whew, I wish I was, never mind. Do not look on the days of old. Look forward. Listen, Dan and I have talked before that if we were not so full of ourselves in high school, what could have been? Because there was a level of influence that was given to us, and we didn't know it. Our churches weren't teaching it. I get it. But we also weren't, like, digging in and going after God, <laughs> per se. We were, was it fair to say we were pretty flesh-filled and pretty proud of ourselves? Yeah, it's pretty fair. <laughs> I'd probably even be more gracious. But anyway, uh, that being said, um, we look back and we say, you always look back and say, oh man, I wish I could have got that. Okay, but if you keep dwelling on that, you'll miss what God has given you now. Okay, so you look on the back, you say, okay, miss that, don't want to miss that again. What do you got for me now? Because most about what you're looking in the past is because you were afraid to embrace it. 
Because you were afraid to brace it, you may have missed something right here. But listen, God is good, God is gracious, and when you learn that lesson and you apply it to the now and to the future, guess what's going to happen? You ain't going to miss it. You're not going to miss it, okay? So don't look back and say, oh, if I would have, if I should have, because that's so easy to do, but then you'll miss what God has for you. All right, now, Mary's going to ask a question, isn't she? He's like, listen, uh, Holy Spirit's going to upon you. You're going to have a child and blah, 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 all this kind of stuff. Great and awesome. And she's like, how can this be? Right? Look at her question. Um, how can this be since, since I'm a virgin? Now, Zacharias is like, what sign will you give me to know that this is true? Pretty similar type of questions, right? You know, it's just like, she's like, how can this be since I'm a virgin? How's this going to happen? One, form this for me, God. There are people that come and ask for healing, but they ask for it in the spirit of a Pharisee where they're looking for a sign. And Jesus said to the Pharisees, no sign will be given to you except Jonah, right? But those who are desperate and seeking God, the woman who's crawling on her belly to grab the hem of his garment, Lord, if you are willing, make me clean. I'm willing, be clean. Lepers, all these people kind of stuff are not asking, looking for a sign. They're asking because they're desperate and if they don't have Jesus, nothing's going to happen in their life. They're, he's always gonna die a leper. She's gonna die with the issue of blood. Uh, uh, Jairus' daughter's gonna stay dead. Lazarus is gonna stay dead. Without Jesus, nothing happens. So there's a desperation in some people in the asking that it seems that it begins to move and flow. But there's also those who ask in a pharisaical type of mindset to which no sign will be given. I believe this is where Zacharias is because he's birthed in that. What sign will be given me to know that this will happen? Well, we're going to shut your mouth because you don't know who you are yet. And you shouldn't be speaking about things you don't know. Just watch of how I perform in your life. But to Mary, it's not like that because there's an innocence in her, right? How will this be? Because I'm a, she's, she's not stooped. She's not taught. She's not brought up in Phariseeism like the guys are. There's something about her that when she asks a question in her innocence that he answers without shutting her mouth. Look at this. Because he answers, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. And for that reason, oh, the Holy Child shall be called the Son of God. What a beautiful answer to her question. It's okay to ask God questions. Some of the things we hear is that, oh, you don't question God. No, you can ask him questions. He's big enough to handle your questions. But he doesn't like pride or Phariseeism in the midst of that question. He's not real big on people asking for a sign for him to prove himself. He's excited about people who are coming by faith that are saying, God, reveal yourself. Big difference in the ask of the question. And so she has favor. Zacharias Elizabeth, have favor. Two sons are going to be born. 
Find that significant. One, roughly about six months older than the other, biologically related as cousins, but it's not like today where I'm going to drive 20 miles and visit my cousin. So today, let me just shut this. What dreams have you had when you were young? Godly dreams. I had a dream today. Pretty sure it wasn't a godly one. I was on a bus with Bill Johnson and my aunt. And they kind of liked each other. It was kind of weird. I don't think that was prophetic. Oh. Not every dream is a prophetic dream, people. Sometimes you just ate pizza late at night. Try not to make the pizza dream spiritual. <laughs> right? But what dreams, what do you know that God has deposited inside of you? I want you to just think about this for a second. Man, I've got dreams, I've got dreams in me that... Um, I thought we're dead. Let me just be honest with you. Can I be honest? Can you handle my honesty? Okay. I have dreams inside of me that I thought were dead because of where God planted me. Little church in a cornfield. Not only that, but I shared my dreams with the wrong people who confirmed that those dreams were dead because of where God planted you. Not outwardly saying that, but just things like, oh, yeah. Well, wouldn't that be nice, right? You're not, you're not sharing these with people who will come alongside you and say, dude, literally, dude, that's God, man. I'm with you. Maybe not in, I'm gonna be right beside you working the whole time, but, but, but thinking I'm gonna be praying because I think that's a God thing. Some of you guys have dreams that have, your well hasn't even been tapped yet. And the problem is, is because fear and doubt, which are of the enemy, have come in and capped your well. And so there's nothing, the, the water is underneath, there's a spring underneath, but the enemy has capped your well. You believed what he said about who you are, which there's truth. What is inside you is bigger than your natural abilities, and the enemy is focused on your natural abilities and saying, Margaret, there's no way you and Curtis can do what God has called you to do in your in your spread that you're at, right? You've got horses that didn't work out. You've got these things that didn't work out. You've got a laundry list of things that you can look at that have not worked. And so if you agree with the enemy, it's the death of your dream. But you're not focused on the laundry list of things that didn't work. You're focused on what God has called for that property that you have purchased a few years ago. And just because it hasn't happened yet, to the extent of what you think it's supposed to, does not mean it's not going to happen. During that laundry list of things that haven't worked, you're, it, it, you're finding a hundred ways of not to do a, a ministry, but God is going to give you the one way to do it, and it's going to be Amen. impactful. It's not going to be glorious in the terms of human glory. It's going to be glorious in the terms of God's glory of what he desires to do through that property. Amen. People are going to be touched, healed, delivered because you've laid down your life for it. Lastly, 
I know, I've kind of, I'm kind of going back and forth, and forgive me. Um, Leif says that you're only given authority over that which you love. And I'm like, bam. I'm like, man, that's good. Is it scriptural? It's really good. Is it scriptural? And then I come back, and I was looking at some stuff where I feel the Lord, and he kind of defined it for me this way. When I gave that word to those students on the beach, I was actually giving that word to myself. And Steve, you're only, you, you're only gonna have authority of that which you love, and that which I love means my heart's gonna be broken for it. And I'm gonna be honest, I don't know that my heart yet has been broken for what God truly wants yet. I'm serious. I'm looking at my own heart, and I'm like, man, there's still a lot of brokenness, I think, that has to happen. I'm not saying it's something that I have to achieve. For me to achieve what God wants me to be broken for, it's just me submitting to the process of God, do what you want. Every single day, God, my heart is yours. It's not like, uh, God, two years ago, I told you my heart is yours, and I'm back two years later, and I'm just going to tell you the same thing. No, no, I'm, I'm asking God, What's reviving in me is pursuing God like that, that lady who said, remember? She's like, Lord, heal my daughter. Ah, no, it's not good to give what is good for the children to the dogs. Yes, Lord, but even the dogs get crumbs from the table. Oh, woman, well, how, he's, he's, he's responding to her faith, right? Oh, heal my daughter, heal my daughter. The, the, the parable of the woman who's going to the judge day after day, justice, 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 justice. Because she's pursuing him so much, he's finally gonna give her justice just to get her off his back. And what he's saying is like, listen, God reacts in the same way. Not that he wants to get you off his back, but as you pursue, he's gonna reveal. And I've gotta bet my life on those promises and stick to in, in, in discipline to pursue him, not to... Not so that he'll perform, but what I want to get in that pursuit is his heart. When I get his heart, mine will be broken for what breaks his. And what I'm broken over, I'll have authority over to pray over. And to expect a thing to happen. What moved him in the Gospels was his compassion. And the crowds came, and he had compassion on them. And so he healed all their diseases. And the crowds were with him for so long, he had compassion on them, so he fed them with loaves and fishes. Everything that he did to the people was moved by compassion. Most of the churches moved by them for themselves, to see something happen for themselves, instead of their hearts being broken for others. Come, I don't think I'm saying it good enough yet. We're trying to fulfill a God-given destiny and kingdom without our hearts being broken by him. And then we get frustrated because we're not seeing things happen the way we think they should because our heart is so full of ourselves instead of being broken for what breaks his. You're not going to Honduras because, you know, it's, it's a good idea. It's not a good idea to go to Honduras. Nobody in their right, you wouldn't even buy a condo in Honduras for crying out loud. It's not the safest place in the world. It's one of the most dangerous nations? Yeah. So why, naturally, in your mind, would you move there? You wouldn't. But spiritually, your heart is broken for the people of Honduras. And when your heart is broken, 
There's nothing else to do but to respond to the goodness of who he is. The call that God has on my life and your life is not, us, is not to make us feel better about ourselves. It is not to make us feel comfortable about where we live. The call and the brokenness that God reveals inside of us is this thing that's going to help us give up everything that the world has to offer to pursue the one. All right, I've chattled on enough. Not for Cuba, but for here. Mm. Jesus. You know why? Uh, do you know why I want to grow? You know why I would love to go to two or three services? It's not because for me. It's because I know that when we begin to fill these seats to beyond capacity that we can have one service, we'll be able to finance more for the nations. That's it. That's it. I don't want this place to grow so that Steve can have a platform and people can ask me for my strategies of how to build a great church. No. I want people to come because we've got vision, they bought into the vision, and now if this place is going to be a place that sends people to the nations, which what has, one of the things that's been spoken over us, then we've got to be broken and we've got to know how to help people be broken for where God wants to send them. And so I want people to come. I want this place to be full, not for me, not for the glory of self, but so that we can be able to do more things in Cuba, in Tanzania, throughout these flags. I don't, nothing should change here. We have enough. We don't have to build another a building. We don't have to build another sanctuary. We don't have to do that kind of stuff. This is enough for what we have to do. What, when more people come and finances come, we can funnel that to the nations. Amen. This is the last thing I'm going to say. And I'm going to step on some toes, so forgive me. I'm not being political. I'm being spiritual, but I'm using something that somebody said. Years ago, there was a president of office who spoke about a redistribution of wealth. Okay? And people from a certain party got all upset and got all angry. No way on God's great green earth you're coming after my wealth. This is a human, this is a human thing. I'm not talking about a spiritual thing. But I feel that it has become a spiritual thing in, in this realm. And hear me out. I believe there is going to be a redistribution of wealth. I do. Not from a political party, but from the king of heaven himself. And here's what I think is going to happen. The churches in America, if you have not stewarded your talent well or your finances well, if you've built empires to yourself and cathedrals to yourself, I believe that money will be taken from them and given to those who are faithful with kingdom economics. 
That's what I mean by redistribution of wealth. I'm not talking about your 401k. I'm not talking about humanistic things. I'm talking about kingdom economics. The time has come where to whom much has been given, much is required. There's going to be a pony up in the kingdom of heaven for churches in America. And if you steward well and you're doing kingdom economics, you're going to get more. But if you haven't, don't be surprised to see churches close so that money is redistributed to those who are doing kingdom work or about their father's business or house. It's not a Republican or a Democrat thing. Jesus is going to stop wasting money on people who call themselves churches but are not doing his father's business. We are going to be about our father's business. We are going to be about our father's business. We are going to be about our father's business. I encourage you to, if you're not doing your personal economics or your budgets, kingdom economics, man, do it now. Start. Search the Bible for finances. Dave Ramsey's fine, whatever. But first put yourself in position to, and your family to be kingdom economics, which means that it's not just about giving a tithe. The church was a generous giver. You're not ready for that one. But anyway, you want to get yourself in kingdom economics so that you can give as much as you can to heaven for God's resources. Not for me, not for the lights, but for what breaks God's heart. Thanks for joining with us today. And if that message touched your heart in some way, please let us know by emailing us at info.kingdomlife@aol.com. You can also find us and reach out to us on Facebook. And we hope that you will join us again for another podcast from Kingdom Life Community Church.